ever. Was was that on air? Oh my goodness, Graham Goodwin, you and I have been talking for an hour, uh, as our listeners wouldn't know, but I've hit the record button. We've effectively captured a full episode, just catching up on all the things going on in the world of sports cars. Uh, granted, ninety nine percent of those things are not meant for us to share yet on the weekend sports cars. So, hey, why don't we be smarter monkeys? And since I've now hit the record button here, actually do the thing that we do each week. Talk about sports cars powered by our listeners who send in questions and also powered by you, the uh, fine establishment known as DailySportsCar.com, would say backed, propelled, and upheld by a trio of amazing people, the fine, quadruple fine folks at Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers Automotive Chemicals and Lubricants in TorontoMotorsports.com, purveyors, uh, sellers of motor racing things and stuff that you would love. We'll also give a quick little nod to the new Marshall Pruitt podcast merchandise page, which is overflowing with sports car memorabilia and some brand new large format stickers of some vehicles that you just might love. So if you have an interest, marshallpruittpodcast.com merchandise page, take home some things there, help support the show, help support my wife and I, and get stuff that in theory makes you cooler than other people. I don't know, Graham. Um, Should we get into hour two of the show? Although it's (laughs) technically... uh, minute like two maybe i don't know i think the one thing i said yes we should but uh, just that and you're right an hour of basically background conversation mp what a lot of fantastic stuff there is to come and to come quite soon as well what an awful lot of fantastic news in depth about uh, sports car racing around the world there is to come and that's right now got to be a good thing. Got to be a good thing that we've got some goodness to look forward to. But yet, let's get it underway. And we're going to do this week's show, MP, in a different way, aren't we? We're going Retro. To do it a- Tell them what we're doing. We're going back in the day. Although, we are. was that, I mean, technically like February of 2018 or whatever. So I don't know how far <laughs> back in the day. But uh, tell them what we're doing. Well, what we're going to do is we're just going to go and grab directly from source. In other words, we're not, we've not collated these. We're just going to look down the list and grab what we like in terms of the questions that have come in from Twitter. Uh, and it, it was this week. It was my turn at DSC Editor. Um, and on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook group, we're going to kick it off with Twitter. And we're going to kick it off with another, another first-time questioner to the show. Yes. Dan- Daniel Summerskill. So let me lob that your way. So no categories this week. This is the way we started out. Who knows? If you like it, we'll do more of it. If not, you know, should we tell them the real reason we're doing this, this format? Uh, is it because uh, Ryan Kish is too busy torturing animals to put the questions on an email? 100% failure on uh, the show's official killer of fish. Ryan Kish. Uh, Daniel Summerskill opens the show, says, Graham, do you think the GTE Pro class could still provide the most competitive racing at Le Mans this year? Says, hashtag me personally. There are only eight cars, but the lineups are really strong, even from the non-factory teams 
and Corvette racing must be really up for a fight after missing last year. Um, I don't know. I think the answer is I don't expect GTE pro to be any less engaging than it has been from the whole history of this class. And it's a history that pretty clearly is coming to an end. We know we've got to WC class next year for the, for the cars, both uh, Porsche and, um, Ferrari have actually confirmed that, and by the look of things, it looks like Corvette intend to bring their GT cars back for another year as well. So I don't expect it to be any less engaging. I expect there to be great fights probably in all four classes this year. We've seen with the racing with you know, the WC this year, pretty close stuff. GTM was absolutely epic. Uh, last time out, LMP2 has been very, very good and with a kind of tiered approach to it as well, with two or three teams operating the very top of their game, two or three challenger teams, if you like, beginning to nibble at their heels. Uh, so I expect all of that to be good. And then we'll see what Hypercar can bring with the five cars that are coming to Le Mans uh, over the longer race distance. Do I expect it to be any different? I, I really properly don't, MP. And, and Daniel, by the way, carries on into Another question about GTM along the same kind of theme. Does having 23 entries in GTM for Le Mans next month demonstrate there's still a strong appetite for GTE over GT3 with the extra driving challenges it provides? Would they prefer to continue with GTE as hashtag me personally? There are too many GT3 series. <laughs> We're certainly going to get, MP, the answer from the ACO as to what the plan is going to be for GT racing. Uh, spoke to Pierre Fion fairly recently about this. Uh, reassured me that, again, uh, the likelihood is we'll hear about that at Le Mans this year. We know there have been active discussions uh, from the governing body with the teams and with the manufacturers. What do I expect? I expect we will hear a timetable for transition. Um, do I expect we're going to see pro racing moving forward in GTs? I think it's distinctly possible that we may not. Um, do I think GT3 is part of the future? I think there is an inevitability that that's the case. I'll just remind you of what we've said from the very start here, uh, both MP and I, which is the transition is happening at a time of other greater transition to with the move to LMDH and LMH as a converged class. My view has always been that the sensible time frame for that is to allow people the time and the space to commit to the converged prototype class first uh, before you give them the opportunity to come uh, into a changed GT class. And I, I've not heard or seen anything that makes me think that, uh, that that logic is anything other than pretty spot on. So what do we think? No real change next year. My, my view would be we might start to see some changes in 23, uh, but 24 has always been the point for me, MP, where the maximum changes I think are going to come for GT at Le Mans uh, and in the ACO's uh, pyramid. Yes. Of the things discussed prior to recording, this subject is one that I need to cover off and oh, yeah. get published. I uh, have heard some uh, very interesting things out of mm -hmm your lovely home region of Y-U-R-R-U-P, Europe. Europe. So, well, one for me to ask you, mate, and this is this, this stretches credibility, but it's Daniel Summers again. Oh, that guy. Uh, he says... We need to start charging him, by the way. We do. I think it's a commercial opportunity here for us. Um, we, um, 
he asks, do you have any hashtag breaking exclusive scoops? He's, he's read somewhere that Hendrick Motorsports... Or heard, maybe? Uh, mm, uh, well, anyway, <laughs> buying, buying Action Express in order to become a full-time factory Cadillac LMD Husky team in IMSA. Interesting, isn't it? I have no Not hashtag true, <laughs> breaking exclusive scoops on this topic. From a standpoint of... I did ask and was told no, no sale, no changes. So assuming that's all accurate, there'd be no scoop because there'd be no change. Could there be an increased participation from Mr. Hendrick? next season and beyond i would imagine so it seems like there's something very good going on there right now but yes did ask very plain question hey is jim france co-founder of imsa back in the day uh chairman of imsa right now and founder longtime owner of action express racing looking to sell was told the answer very clear no modifiers no hedging and other possible scenarios of, well, they're good, man, you know. No. no, no. <laughs> a two-letter answer with complete clarity. So unless he changes his mind, I would say, Daniel, uh, there's nothing there. Uh, also, Hope, by the way, on a related but nothing to do with sales and other stuff, uh, in the midst of trying to arrange an interview with, Rick Hendrick, on the subject of sports cars, his past. I'm old enough, sadly, to have seen his first entree into IMSA back in the mid-1980s with a Corvette GTP, which is awesome. So uh, now with him back, same GM family competing in the top class. Just hoping to catch up with him and talk about the past, the present, and uh, if he has a desire to go full-time as a co-entrant with Action Express, maybe look to form his own team. Who knows? So uh, assuming we can get that arranged, we'll look forward to telling you more about his general thoughts and plans. But got a two-letter answer to this, Daniel, so hopefully that covers that off. <laughs> well, le- leading on on a, on a not completely dissimilar uh, theme, and uh, this is from Matthew License. And he refers to, I think, your most recent piece for Racer, uh, CGR. Chip Ganassi Racing expanding to a two-car effort next year. Firstly, where's the extra Cadillac coming from? He says because Dragon Speed. Are, he says uh, I think there's another break exclusive group struggling to find one. And secondly, if GM are looking at a WC program, as the story uh, mentions they might be, would they use Cadillac branding or would they go for Corvettes and the WEC and Cadillac in IMSA? That's Matthew License. All great questions, as we've come to expect. From Matthew License. How do you how do you say this without being a total jerk about it? Um, Chip Ganassi Racing, Cadillac Chip Ganassi Racing, was formed as a result of Cadillac and General Motors wanting and needing a full factory presence in DPI. Wayne Taylor Racing leaving for Acura. Uh, this obviously has worked out very well for them, winning on their debut, etc., etc. So that's great. 
found themselves with a void in terms of entries. The thought, and I'm just giving a little bit of background here, Matthew, to get to uh, the questions. They, they do feed into it. There was a genuine surprise when the, well, we're going to partner with Chip Ganassi Racing, and it's going to be a factory effort thing popped up. I know, well, I shouldn't say I know. I could always be wrong, but I, I understood that this was not some form of long-held discussion, and yeah, it's been in the works for a long time, and the trigger just got pulled very late. This was November-ish, early November, when all of this was formalized. Uh, two months before the Rolex 24? I mean, th- these kinds of things just really don't happen on such a short timeline. That tells us, without a doubt, that there was some form of significant decision internally at General Motors that this needs to happen, but there's also a longer-term plan in place. They did not spell it out at the time. Granted, right, we're only talking, what, 10 months ago? So it's not that long ago. But if we're just looking at things from a practical standpoint, Matthew, there's no way GM... Uh, very late in the day would say, oh, got to have a factory team in DPI. Wayne Taylor Racing's leaving. Got to backfill that. And we're going to do something totally different than we've done, which is fund this 100%. Well, how do we know it's a factory program? Well, you look at the car. (laughs) It's uh, done in a full Cadillac livery. There are no major sponsors on the car. Again, just it's very clear what this is. We've known it from the outset. So with all that said, with their funding of this, commissioning of this program, and everything that it came to be, it's clear that this had bigger implications for the long term. We've known, Graham, right? Worst kept secret uh, for months now about a Cadillac LMDH program. I'm sure when we get to ask some questions, when it's formally announced, I can give you a date of what I've heard is the <laughs> announcement date. And I also know that it might change uh, one, you know, a day or two forwards or backwards. But uh, what the 24 hours of Le Mans starts, the, the green light for the or green flag for the race, or actually it's not the green flag, the tricolor will wave on August 21st. I am told either August 19th or 20th, and I've heard this from multiple people, either August 19th or 20th, there will be the formal announcement, finally! (laughs) And granted, that could change. This has been something that's changed many times for us. But uh, told that that is when the formal announcement will be coming. Nonetheless, this whole Cadillac Chip Ganassi Racing program from the outset has been something with a long road ahead. Um, knowing all of that, the decision to expand to two cars, not a surprise knowing that as I have heard, and I will say this is confirmed uh, as strongly as it could be confirmed. No question about it. Uh, there will be two cars next year in DPI. The longer term plan is for them to continue as Cadillac's full factory team noting that action express racing i am told will continue under the cadillac family banner and will be part but 
say, not the direct factory team like CGR. The thing that I've heard and heard and had echoed back to me in very solid ways, there will be at least a two-car LMDH program fielded by CGR in 2023 and beyond. The angle that I've heard, the only part that I'm not a 1,000% sure on the numbers here, I've heard there will be one car in IMSA. Duh, that makes sense. Home everything for them. And one in WEC. Now, could that expand to two in IMSA, one in WEC, one in IMSA, two in WEC, two in... Again, I don't know. As a factory, noting, Graham, how economical Cadillac has been with their DPI program, right? They're not doing big, splashy, full factory things with multiple teams. Uh, They never have. Uh, Prior to uh, the Chip Ganassi relationship, they have been very customer-centric. It would be odd to see them all of a sudden start spending a ton to field a pair of factory entries in IMSA and WEC. So that's why I think what I've heard uh, about a single car in both makes sense. Again, could it be too domestically here? It feels like that might be something to uh, to possibly happen. But again, one there, one where you is, one where I is. We know that Chip Ganassi Racing's history, very recent history, was fielding multiple cars in a dual American and European campaign for Ford in, uh, in WEC and IMSA. So they have exceptional recent experience doing exactly this. So that's why, again, for all these things, they do line up with this team and it does all seem to make sense. So just a little bit of background for you there, Matthew, to get to this specific questions. Uh, Dragon speed, struggling to find one. Well, difference between being a factory and having no affiliation whatsoever with General Motors. I know the Dragon Speed used least Chevy engines for their somewhat brief foray into IndyCar, but keep in mind, Chip Ganassi Racing, part of the family. Dragon Racing, not part of the family. No relationship whatsoever. End of story. And so that's not speaking ill of Dragon Speed. That's just saying, hey, if... GM wants to make, whether it's a vehicle or engines or whatever available, where are they going to go first? So I do not see these as related in any way. An independent team with a desire is unable to get the thing that they want. Okay. I mean, that's what the millionth time that's happened in racing factory team. Of course, they're going to get what they want. Keeping in mind, chip didn't say, Hey, I want to run two cars. This is GM. This is Cadillac saying, we're going to be running to here in LMDH. Let's start getting prepared for that, warmed up for that. Go and find drivers who we can spend next year with. Hopefully they all work out, pan out, get the team up and running and gelled and whatnot. And when that LMDH thing lands, we're already in full motion, not having to do the expansion in 23, figure everything out kind of on the fly. So this is all about preparing for the future, 100%. Cadillac's decision. Closing. Interesting one, isn't it? Sorry. No, no, just going to say I've heard nothing about the Corvette angle. Keeping uh, using that in WEC. Again, who knows what could change, but uh, Cadillac is sold internationally. It's not a huge international sales brand, but 
Uh, it does have uh, somewhat of a profile on an international stage. I'd say more select countries than just everywhere, but uh, would not be totally surprised if this just continued uh, as is. And we can also note Graham, obviously, on the same exact topic. Hey, Cadillac uh, prototypes. Uh, we're going to do an American thing and a European thing in our lifetime. Twenty years ago, whatever whatever exact years it was, um, they did the same exact thing in using okay. Cadillac brand uh, at Le Mans throughout Europe as well. So, bit of a, a familiar playbook here as well. Uh, the, the thing I would add here is you're absolutely right. Of course, Dam's running a, a second program to the Cadillac factory team. What this certainly does help them with, with the WEC part of the plan, is that long-lasting political undercurrent of, if you want to come to Le Mans, you've got to do WEC. It's GM. Whichever brand they choose to use, that's certainly going to help their conversation about uh, not just their prototypes coming from IMSA, but also their GTs coming from IMSA. And, yep, I expect we're still going to see the uh, the Corvettes for the odd race here and there for the BOP purposes. Sorry for the creaky chair. But uh, my guess is that this helps not only commercially, but also with the political side. Uh, Move on. Yeah, I'm oh, going to throw one at you. Oh, this on, comes then. from my pal, Andrew Baca, a.k.a. Baxter. Who would win in a race, Graham? Federal inmates, Michael Avenatti, and Scott Tucker. Or their former teammates, Patrick Dempsey, and the official purveyor, the Hammer Emporium owner, Christophe Bouchou. Well, at the moment, it would definitely be um, Dempsey and Bouchou because, of course, you can't be that quick when you're in a cell. Uh, there's that, for starters. Uh, the second part of it is you've got to bear in mind as well that uh, there's, the, there's the potential um, of the involvement of Shank in this. In the case of um, our two inmates, they, Shank is not Michael Shank, but obviously they're hastily um, kind of, uh, they're, they're kind of bladed instruments. Uh, the prison Shank uh, might be involved there as well. Who's going to be the quickest, though, of those four? Well, it's not Avignati, I can tell you that. Yeah, oh no. Are we trying to get him to send me more threats uh but, oh, really? but from the pokey yeah <laughs> yeah and are you do you are you still a lawyer do you does the bar still extend all your full credentials oh, no. when you get locked is, up or is that something that gets rescinded no, no, i think it's it's fair to say that he's got uh, that there are certainly bars involved in his current environment oh um, look but, at uh, you look at you I think the answer, right, the, the quick and sensible answer, by the way, the quickest of the four, I think, Scott Tucker, because Bushu, not what he was, and of course, an excellent winner, Christophe Bushu. Um, uh, yeah, it, it it wouldn't be a money spinner, that little um, that little face off, would it? What yeah. a what a what a quartet that uh, turns out to be. Can but, I tell um, you how much I'm enjoying this non-structured format, by the way? <laughs> I'm liking this just because it's the way my brain works. It bounces all oh, over the place. Fine. I'm the most Let's non-linear go. person on this, uh, on this of anyone that listens. Uh, I think I'm the most non-linear. Uh, let's okay. see. I want to throw another one at you because I you can. Want. And I, I used to be a pitcher in Little League Baseball. So I might have a little bit of accuracy throwing this your way. Um, I'm going to read this one to you just because I'm going to be a jerk. Uh, this comes in 
from El Nino Crow. El Nino Crow. There we go. Um, that this could be possible again in theory without endangering local traffic. Right. Probably hard to execute because BCUZ. They yes. would need two pit stops. Two crews for each track, just curious of distance for track A and B between themselves. Now, uh, I just read you the follow-up to his original post, just because I wanted to confuse the heck out of you. Um, <laughs> uh, El Nino Crow says, okay, hear the crazy guy out. Are there two racetracks, the number two, are there two racetracks anywhere in the world close enough Drivers could drive half-time on track A, exit the track, driving their race car, and enter track B, and finish the race on track B. Are there tracks close enough to each other that this could yeah. be possible? Um, yes, there are. So, I just want to have a little bit of fun with you there, because, no, no, hey, that's what we're well, doing this week. Well, well like, there's a couple. But first and foremost, aside from those tracks that can actually have two different circuits running within their own formats, and there's plenty of those, Silverstone's certainly one of them, um, the one that immediately comes to mind, of course, is the Nürburgring, where you can have the Grand Prix track in use at the same time as the Nordschleife. Uh, if you're more familiar with the Nürburgring in its Nürburgring 24 hours format, that's both, but they can be run in splendid isolation from each other. If you want to stretch it a little... I think the answer there is if you get into an hour, an hour and a half, something like that apart, something like Silverstone and Donington Park. I have covered races at both in the same day. Um, I have, you know, finished one race uh, at uh, around, you know, uh, three o'clock in the afternoon, driven to to Silverstone for the sports car. It's actually a Group C race, finishing off the Silverstone Classic. Um, so they're distinctly possible in the US. Um, what's the What's the um the the oval reasonably close to Daytona? Is it New Smyrna that one? Um, no, I that, isn't that no. That's Road America. Or, I'm sorry, Road Atlanta, I believe, because right ac- yeah, right across the the highway from Road Atlanta is a little short oval where at times the oh, yes, parking yes, yes. lot for that short oval is used for fans, media, and otherwise. So at least here in the states. There's a lot of options where this could happen. So, and I think it's because of the roval type dynamic where I realize it's the same track, but you could do the oval, then the the road course, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, There are some tracks that have uh, river, uh, not Riverside, good Lord. Um, Willow Springs in Southern California has the big, large track that was used uh, for a decent amount of filming in Ford versus Ferrari, for example. And then uh, it's not directly connected, or who knows, maybe that's changed since I was last there, but they have a secondary smaller track called Streets of Willow, which teams used to use frequently testing for street courses. And it's not a street, it's just a smaller, fiddlier uh, road course, but uh, you could do the big track and then drive over and and do the other ones. So uh, some of those, but I'm... Other, What's if we're it? talking road what? racing, which is kind of what sports yeah. car racing is about, I can't think of two road, truly independent road courses so close to each other where you could do this. It would be more, oh, there's a short oval or there's a something uh, nearby. Uh, but yeah, that's all that comes to mind here. 
Yeah, the, the, what's that uh, secondary track in Indianapolis called that I always forget? Uh, IRP, Indianapolis Raceway Park, yep. maybe. Yeah, that's a little yep. bit of a drive. Uh, that's okay. not uh, as close. But all right, let's let's uh, let's get things back on track. I'm going to read one more to you here, and then uh, you do as you please. Uh, after okay. that, Right Turn Lever. Wouldn't be an episode of the Week in Sports Cars without Right oh, no. Turn Lever. Rolf Eniken in the Herberth Porsche. Yes. Any idea how that has come about? Been ages since Eniken drove a Porsche, and I cannot remember him being an ACO regular uh, SRO, IMS Enduros, especially Daytona, yes, but ACO? Um, I guess because he wants to do Le Mans is a straight answer. Hey! It's, one of two, it's one of two cars uh, in the what is not yet the final entry list, he said, spilling not many beans on something else that is to come. Um that uh, two teams have changed car since the provisional entry list. Uh, that is ARC Bratislava shifting from their now parked Ligier to an Orica and Herbeth Motorsports uh, switching from a Ferrari to a Porsche 911 RSR 19. Rolf Eiken, you're quite right. Uh, not being a, um, uh, someone we've seen at, at, at Le Mans, uh, but I think it's it's the appeal. It's as simple as that. It's why Herbeth came and did the Asia Le Mans series and, for that matter, won the auto entry. It is their customers want to come and do the biggest endurance race on the planet. And it's with the relationship they've got with Rolf Nyken, my guess is it gets him further to the front of AQ than he otherwise would be for some of the more established uh, um, the more established Le Mans players like Proton Competition, for instance. But don't underestimate from the position of either pro drivers, semi-pro drivers, or indeed the gentleman drivers, just how much of a draw doing the great race is. It is a huge, um, you know, uh, tick in the box for kind of career goals, life goals for that matter, MP. Uh, so how and why, my guess is the how and why is the opportunities arisen because Herbert have got the automatic uh, invitation, uh, why? Because it's the biggest race in the world. So it's as simple as that, really. It's a bit like, you know, why do drivers do the, the Rolex 24 that don't do other uh, major endurance races? Because it's just a huge event. It's it really is that simple. Money laundering. And by the way, they will have been able to turn around to other people offering them money to come and say, actually, no, we're full. Um, you know, I uh, one of the regular. <sighs> cycles you can actually anticipate in daily sports car world is the calls i will get from drivers and driver managers um asking what's still available and i've no doubt i'll get another call in the next week or so to ask whether or not anybody's deal looks like it's still um still okay uh but there are still changes to come no doubt about that whatsoever um uh, does that mean that we're going to see anything other than the 62 cars that are currently listed? No, it doesn't. Uh, it will be, I think, those 62. I don't see any chance of anybody dropping off that list. But um, it's good to see some new blood. It's good to see some new teams on that list. And for the most part, the new teams this year have come because of that change in format for Asia. And, you know, was happy to see in the current circumstances, MP, that that's going to be repeated and we go back to the UAE for another quick format four race um, championship over two weekends. So we're going to be busy again. Uh, do you want me to grab one for your good self? Sure. And uh, you uh, decide what you 
we're not doing categories. So I don't know if you're the official selector for this episode, but maybe you decide when we move from the, the tweeters to the book faces. Let's have a quick look. Okay. Is this is from Brian McCoy. Is Ford doing anything related to sports car racing? Is the Mustang GT3 still a possibility? Mark Rushbrook was excited about the possibility. It seems the only talk regarding American GT3 efforts have been about what GM is doing. So says Brian McCoy. Any news, any rumor, any speculation, any just rampant making it up as we go along on what uh, the company incorrectly called fraud is up to. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Should we reveal this on the show that we discussed prior to recording? Formula One. um, Yes. Ford is headed (laughs) back to Formula One uh, with an electric Mustang uh, SUV. So... It's 100% confirmed. Don't even question it. Just, uh, yeah, also don't ask Ford. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, deny it. This would fall, deny it. Strong. yeah, strong rumors that we just made up that are entirely false. I haven't followed up on this. It just hadn't even occurred to me since I wrote about it when I interviewed Mark however long ago, uh, earlier this year, and he mentioned that, yes, gt 3 Edge. Mustangage of interest to them should also mention, I don't know if we have the adequate frequency of either questions from Jacob Bame or has uh, our man Kish grand failure this week, but has Kish just been burying uh, Jacob submissions in the non preferred uh, lane? I, I feel like, I feel like the show is suffering without Jacob awesome. making frequent fun of, my malapropisms or the intentional non-words that I make up. So, yeah, um, that's weird. Don't know. Need to follow up and ask. I will add it to a list, and you might have just heard the opening of a Sharpie pen. Uh, Ask fraud, F-R-O-D, G-T-3. There we go. Okay. Well, I'm going to follow up uh, with another U.S.-based question it comes from abdullah at please ignore we won't on twitter and he says why did it take 10 years for someone to build a non-hideous daytona prototype hmm is it to do with the sharpness of the crayons your side of the pond <laughs> <laughs> i might need just a tiny bit of of context here that i'm i'm missing uh, are we talking about IMSA's no, we're talking, we're second talking gen, GPs. or, or yeah, I, I, I know, but I, mean, or I shouldn't say second third. gen, third gen, uh, because it did go to the less width loving uh, body shape and a, yep. a more svelte uh, cockpit and a little bit of shaping. But why did it take that long? Uh, could it just be that they decided they were going to merge dp and lmp2 and they decided well we need to make a proper car out of lmp2 so therefore it look like a car let's put things on it that will make it perform that it has never had that would be my guess uh not saying it it's gonna stand the test of time as one of the most beautiful or prototypes ever but of the offerings i mean the, the riley i thought looked pretty darn good the lola was a little wacky but had a couple angles that weren't totally a 
visual affront. Uh, Excuse me. That looked like a shoebox, but one that had been flattened a little bit. Yeah, it looked to me, MP, like it had been hammered out of a single sheet of alloy with spoons. (laughs) (laughs) Possibly in a prison. (gasps) Here we go again. Um, Yeah, I mean, look, I don't know. It's just one of those bizarre things in motor racing, Graham, where when a series could be open wheel, could be sports cars, yep. could be stock cars, whatever, decides to go spec or spec-ish. You would think, hey, man, you got a green light to make it look as pretty as you want since, yep. for the most part, it's going to be highly regulated. Innovation's not something we're really embracing. So you got a f- absolute free pass. And IndyCar, uh, boy, they pooped the bed on their current car, which has been in action now for, what, 10 years? I don't know, however, it, forever. It finally uh, started looking good in 2018 when, under new management or new leadership, Graham, they just said, yeah, uh, we can do better. And it looks uh, so much better, but it still has some limitations based on its uh, base design. NASCAR at times has just what are you do you just not look is this a thing where you go hey we're going to design it but we're going to cover our eyes and just whatever we put on the page that's what's going to get made and you could say the same thing with uh, the Daytona prototypes granted there was a lot of variants in chassis manufacturers and engine I mean there's a lot of things that could be done differently but to the point of the question here the rules were written in such a way where visual beauty was almost drummed out of it being an option because you look at it and you say, well, hey, Riley, they sure have made beautiful prototypes over the years. Lola, same thing. There are some others that maybe weren't as experienced, but you know, uh, fab cars made some decent looking, if not some that were beautiful over the years. So, Barring Pikio, maybe, just about every constructor of a, a significant volume of Daytona prototypes, Graham, they had histories making cars from way back in the day to within a decade or so of when this formula kicked off of making things that were visually pleasing. So when they all, by and large, fail, you know that it has nothing to do with them. You know that the rules are written in such a way to lead us towards these kind of frumpy turtle things. And here we have eternal derision. Last super quick thing to close on this. What I still love, Graham, is whenever, I should say whenever, that's presumptive, but often when I, or we, but it's usually myself, uh, pan Daytona prototypes, we always get one or two people that push back. Oh, those are awesome. I loved. Oh, absolutely. And rightfully so, you know, there's some folks who had no experience with sports car racing. This happens every day, right? There's a new fan to some form of motor racing every day. And there are people who were unaware, not alive, whatever it might have been. ALMS, IMSA, Group C, whatever, weren't here for it. Their first experience in sports cars and prototypes was with Daytona prototypes. So natural 
like everyone with the things they see and, and get to like for the first time, those things stick with you. So there Ooh. are whatever number, not many, because there weren't a lot of fans of Grand Am, but there are still folks who will push back and go, screw you, man. Love those things. Those are awesome. You go, I can't argue you're right for where it fell in your introduction to sports car racing. Hopefully since then you've learned more about the present and the past and have been able to slot Daytona prototypes where they uh, deserve uh, to belong in that frame of, oh, my God, what was going on here? But nonetheless, um, they're loyalists, and there will always be loyalists. Well, fair enough. I mean, I, I just add this bit of balance to it. So we shouldn't forget the um, the contribution that one of those early prototypes made to a very significant car that came later. Remember the Multimatic, uh, the very early 2003 Multimatic, <sighs> the, the Focus, the, the Multimatic Focus, which – bore as much relationship to a focus as I do to Sandra Bullock, to be honest with you. Um, and the thing that, 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 remember, that that was where it started for where we got to the 4 GT. I mean, a car that lots of people absolutely love the look of. Why did we get from that point A to point B? Because you just know that there was a very big meeting involving some serious people from Ford and some serious people from Multimatic, and the pictures of that car were shown and that they would have said, don't you dare do anything like that again. Let's have something that's good looking. So it became the bar that needed to be rather easily cleared to get to somewhere better. Enough said about Daytona prototypes. Um, what have we got? <laughs> Facebook. Uh, you didn't, Facebook. I didn't, did you hear Facebook? I didn't. I, I didn't Facebook. say that. I didn't suggest we move to another format. But that was, it, was a, it was a voice again. Facebook. Hang on a minute. I'm just, just trying to open Facebook now. Um, we'll start with Michael O'Keefe says, have you heard of any changes to the IMSA calendar next year? He's read that Indy might be added to the calendar. Any truth of the rumor? Has Roger Penske been on the phone again? Well, I think I mentioned that in an interview with Roger. Uh, maybe, but I don't, these things, I don't tend to lock into my brain. So, can't tell you, Michael, whether it would be next year or the year after, but I would say I do absolutely expect some form of Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course, real endurance race for six hours, maybe eight, who knows, uh, to be on the schedule within the next two years. Can't tell you if it'd be next year, though. Uh, next one, Gregor Piotrowicz. Vich, I might have, I always screw up your name, Gregor, so I apologize, but hopefully it's amusing to you. Uh, referencing, and you replied to him, uh, some talk from IMSA President John Doonan about Glickenhaus, possible entry in IMSA issues. I believe mm. the underpinnings of that question and or possible problem relate to size and volume of vehicle manufacturing. Not the first mm -hmm. time we've discussed this specific topic on the show, but something yep. along the lines of, is there a minimum production number from IMSA's standpoint for that organization to consider a LMH, LMDH manufacturer, or whatever, to be a real, quote, manufacturer in their eyes? If you make less than this number, we don't see you as one, therefore you're not welcome. I think that's the heart of the question. Yeah, because there is that there is that number absolutely that is that is nailed in for 
DPI and therefore you would imagine for LMDH. And I guess the question then comes, is that num- number the same for LMH? And I saw the piece that was being referred to and that was not a question that John Doonan answered. There we go. Um, and I would add insights if I had any, but I don't. So yeah, there I we think, go. I think, you know, I'll just say this to you. I did read the piece because I had people calling me and asking me. So I did read the piece. And what I tend to read into something like this is I look very carefully at the answers, the words that are coming out of the interviewee's mouth and read the answers rather than the narrative around them. Is there an open question about whether or not Glickenhaus would be welcome? There is an open question about it, but I was not seeing anything definitive from John Doonan that said that they were not at this point. Um, I think there was debate to come out of this one, but at this point, I did not see John Doonan use the words, they do not qualify under this regulation. Didn't see it. Um, So it's one to follow up with, perhaps with JD, when we get an opportunity um, with... You know, an, an open question. In fact, I go further. He actually specifically did not comment on that specific question. Uh, so whether or not that indicates the positive or the negative, I'm sure Jim Clickenhouse and the team are more aware than we are. But uh, right now, to be blunt, we're two years away from that being even a possibility. An awful lot of things can change. We're going to get to the stage where there's a lot of good news coming. There will have to be some bad news along the way uh, as well. And these things can be discussed, I think, quietly uh, and in a considered fashion. Jim Glickenhouse, I'm sure, would love to bring his beautiful cars to uh, some of the IMSA Enduros at the very least. And for what it's worth, I'm sure there are people at IMSA that would like to see those cars there. Whether or not their regulations allow that to happen is in their gift correct yeah and i'll just throw this back in because it's a necessary part of the conversation you and i love jim glickenhouse uh jim glickenhouse is awesome he is so very american and so very new york uh he is ballsy there's just an element of bullishness about him I appreciate that because it is a rarity these days in a team owner, constructor, you name it. We don't get uh, a lot of highly insistent table pounding types like Jim Glickenhouse. And I'm not saying that's who he is all the time. I'm just saying that element is within his personality. He is not accustomed to being told no. He is not accustomed to allowing roadblocks to stand in his way to do the things that he wants, whether it's in racing, movies, whatever. I love that about him. There's also a little bit of a downside to that based on who is receiving that personality. And if we just take this into a slightly wider focus, focus, no, frame, Graham, we could look in IMSA and say, hey, are there some other Glickenhausian constructors involved? Whether it's WeatherTech Championship, Michelin Pilot Challenge, are there some more boutique constructors that play in IMSA's general multi-class, uh, multi-vehicle formats? And you say, yes, uh, there are. Aston Martin, for example. Not a, Granted, they make a fair amount of cars compared to some truly small boutique constructors. But again, we know 
They're not pumping out zillions of cars each year. Nonetheless, even though they're smaller, smallish, they've struck however it's been done, whether it's directly from the manufacturer or the team or both, satisfying that manufacturer marketing agreement IMSA requires to participate. No, that's separate from minimum vehicle uh, manufacturing numbers to be considered a manufacturer. But I just want to get into this a little bit because I I do think it does circle back to Glickenhaus. So even some of what we would call the smaller-ish boutique-type constructors who are active in sports car racing, uh, there are not a ton, but some instances where they have come through, paid the money, and are allowed to compete WeatherTech Championship, Michelin Pilot, etc. There's some, though, Graham, which we know, and you've often filled us in on this on the show, that haven't for this very reason, Bentley being one of them, right? Bentley's had an amazing GT3 model for many years now. We've seen it in World Challenge, then when World Challenge was bought by SRO over here. We've seen it do, hell, we've even seen one go up Pikes Peak. Uh, But we have not seen Bentleys in IMSA the pretty much standard refrain is look for what it would cost that approximate million dollars of commitment of marketing dollars and whatnot. It's a big number for potentially, who knows one or two cars customers at that. And based on the volume of sales back here, uh, it's just hard to justify. That's not a number we could get past. We feel our marketing officer, financial officer. So sorry, love to be there. We don't make enough cars and or the various reasons I've mentioned. Uh, we don't, I'm sorry, we don't sell enough cars per year for that dollar figure to make sense. We're not going to play. You then say, okay, well, what about a hyper boutique manufacturer like Lickenhouse? And you could expand that out to a Koenigsegg or again, we can think of some other supercar, hypercar manufacturers where you go, hey, you might make 50 a year. You could make 100, maybe even make 1,000 across a, yep. a variety of model ranges. Uh, but that's a big number. And if we're doing it as a factory, maybe we come up with a way to justify that expense. But if it's going to be a thing where really our customers are there playing, why would we pay a million dollars if this is just so our customers could use the cars they've bought from us to play that doesn't make that makes sense maybe to them if you want to come out of pocket for that but why would we bear that financial hit and so that's one of the reasons if not the main reason i would say that there's been a little bit of agita between imsa and glickenhaus so you have imsa saying hey these are the rules that are in place not even getting into the the prototype stuff yet. These are the rules in place. We appreciate you or anyone else that's kind of a real true tiny boutique constructor, but we're not making up different sets of rules based on the size of constructor. If you want to be here in a big pro series, how do we go to name the large brand, General Motors, uh, Acura, Honda, whatever else, say, hey, you know how you're paying this much? Well, guess what? discount bargain rate going to this other manufacturer you're going to compete against because they're smaller you'd get again there's just a built-in fight and complaints of favoritism and otherwise this is why this hasn't gone through so extend 
that to prototypes and this size of the manufacturer paying for the marketing thing as well, Graham. And I would just say the, the possible downside of a very forceful, independent-minded person like Jim pushing hard on IMSA, let us in, you, you know, what do all these rules mean? Why the hell would you put some sort of barrier to entry? Don't you want the best cars? Uh, our cars get a huge amount of uh, traffic online, and there's, you know, we're, there's all the other reasons to let us in. And I think you still come back to a thing where a major series like this says, hey, it's kind of the same rules for everybody. So if you want us to treat you differently and let you in and not apply the same rules to you as we do to others, uh, charge the same amount as others, blah, blah, blah. We're getting into a bit of a hard space here of if you want to come and act like everyone else and ask to be treated like everyone else, I think you might see participation. But knowing that there's a little bit of a history and, and uh, argy-bargy, as Calvin Fish loves to say in the IMSA broadcasts, there's been a little bit of bodywork contact between Glickenhaus and IMSA that you and I are both aware of and I think many others are aware of. I think this is just not something that is rolling into a prototype future, LMH, LMDH, whatever, where there's a lot of great feelings and mm-hmm. feelings of brotherhood, mm-hmm. sisterhood, and let's find something that works. I th- One side needs to blink. One side needs to let the other one have their way. Or one side needs to step up and just act like all the other manufacturers, but that's not really Jim Glickenhouse's nature. So if it comes down to pure numbers, high, you got to make this minimum or you can't play, it's a hard, fast thing. You go, cool, done deal, you're not coming in. If there's no intent to meet that minimum number, and yet they're still lobbying to be allowed in and so on and so forth, and this is what everyone else conforms to. I I, I don't know if I see this as a a solution, Graham, that can be found, Mm -hmm. because exceptions to the rule in a form of motor racing, which I often say is built solely for the rules, those things just tend not to go over that well. It's going to be an interesting kind of little sideshow if you like in this much bigger story isn't it is how do challenger and boutique brands and others will inevitably emerge but then there's the counter side though which i'd love and i know we're staying with this for a little while but you know hey the show is just kind of an open format i'd love to hear your insights on the counter argument because i've just shared with you i'm not saying imsa's correct i'm just saying this is the these are the policies they've had They've stuck to them. I don't see them changing it just for Jim. Name another brand. Hickenhaus shows up with uh, their double, double, double 007 LMA. Again, name someone else and is super nice and sweet and loving and saying, boy, you want to be here. It's going to be great. And we're going to do the marketing agreement, whatever else. But we're still only going to make 500 cars a year. I still think IMSA would say, whatever the minimum number is, sorry, it doesn't match. It doesn't meet. Therefore, per our approach, you can't come play. That's IMSA's, again, that's been IMSA's general refrain here. Not saying it's right or wrong, 
but it's been consistent to my knowledge. But flip that around, Graham, and maybe give the counter argument of, well, Jim Glickenhouse sure is competing in the FIWC. And uh, I don't know what the costs are. If there's marketing uh, commitments they must make, I don't know if there's, you know, I don't know the financial side of what it takes for them to be there. But the other major uh, international endurance racing organization are saying, granted, he's building a car to their formula, not IMSA's formula, but at least over there, uh, I have heard nothing about minimum vehicle numbers and so on. So it works on one side. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that, because clearly he's well, finding what he wants there. I think there's there's two things. One, there is no uh, parallel marketing fee that I'm certainly aware of uh, on that front. And the, the, let's not forget, Glickenhouse uh, have two race programs. They have the hypercar, which at the moment is eligible in the WEC, will be eligible uh, from 2023 in the Weather WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. But within their rule set, the other race program he has is with the SCG 004C, I think is the competition version of it, which is their GT3 type vehicle. And Jim has made it very clear he intends to homologate that car as a GT3 just as soon as the production numbers that are relevant for GT3 uh, allow him to do that. So here's the thing. He's going to do that for GT3, but there's a row about a not dissimilar argument to do with the hypercar. So on two fronts, one is I'd love to see that car IMSA. But there is a rule set that may or may not, because let's be clear here, Marshall, we don't currently have the rule set for 2023. Well, there's we don't that. have it yet. So, the, so it may well be that there, there is a an argument to be made that Jim needs to make possibly in a slightly less combative way than he currently is that says, wouldn't this be a good thing to have a challenger brand from the US in the same way that, I don't know, let's say, pick one out from the pile panels did. And I know there's a completely different history around why Panos was in there. But, you know, if we did come down to a rather more pointed argument that involved external uh, assistance of a legal nature, then that's certainly something that would be brought to bear. I've no doubt whatsoever. So that argument needs to be out there. You either are going to obey the rules or you've got to argue for the rules to be changed. It's pretty clear at the moment that there is an open, a relatively open debate about what that rule set might look like. If I was Jim and Jesse at a Clicking House, I'd be doing a lot more sitting and talking around a table with coffee and biscuits than shouting on the internet because someone's written another clickbait article that doesn't quite say what it purports to say. Uh, that's what I would do. I would not be guided into a row that isn't yet happening. Uh, that, that's my concern about this one. I'm not pointing fingers and saying, you've done this with a, an article that purports to say one thing, but then actually doesn't say it. I am telling you, it's a fact it doesn't say it. Um, so if Jim has taken his lead from simply an article on the internet rather than a considered phone call or uh, exchange of correspondence with the, the parties concerned, I would urge him to take the latter uh, course and not the former course and start to make the arguments that we know are out there about the kind of fan appeal of this, uh, this, um, uh, this effort, about the kind of the passion that goes with it and the storytelling that can be done, I'd be concentrating on those things. And 
making a bid for the rules to be changed in his favour, which might be successful or not, rather than the shouting match that tends to kind of come down from these things. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, I don't play the clickbait game because I just see this as being a an unhappy outcome, um, a very public row, one-sided row at the moment, uh, that is ultimately potentially rather pointless if you can have a dialogue that might get what you get you where you want to be that that's my kind of position on it we we have had challenger brands in racing before we've had challenger brands in gt3 before we've had challenger brands in you know in lmp racing before and i'd like to see the opportunity for more of that to come forward as you and i've discussed mp repeatedly on the weekend sports cars it's something we've lost in the homologated era it's something we've lost and the fact that we've got somebody with the, the means and the passion to stand up and do it, I think does need to be celebrated, does need to be embraced in some way. And it would be really very sad indeed if a US-based company, albeit they build their race cars in Italy, they're building their road cars in the US, if they found themselves unable to race in the continental, domestic continental series in their own home marketplace, that for my money, that needs to be discussed, but needs to be discussed behind closed doors without the pressure of, I demand that you give me an answer now on what the regulations are going to be in two years. Is this team going to be in or is it going to be out? And, you know, um, blah, blah, blah. The nuances that come up, those, those arguments. This is where that doesn't help. What needs to happen is discussion, not argument. It's what's gone wrong in politics. It's got what's gone wrong in media. And it shouldn't down well go wrong in our sport. Discussion and uh, not argument is the way forward here. That's why, by the way, the discussion and not argument bit got us to where we are with convergence. Can we take some lessons from that and get it right in other areas as well? Can we get like-minded people to sit down and talk about the areas that need to be fixed rather than the areas that separate us? That's what's missing. That's my soapbox of the day. There we go. Uh, We're a little bit past an hour right now graham uh how much longer you want to go let's go for another 15 20 minutes if you're okay with that of course um uh this one here for you mate um what sort of breaking exclusive scoops should we expect from the customary state of the series updates given at road america feel like 2022 could use a little spicing up given that lmdh won't arrive until the year following needs something more exciting than gtd pro updates for me personally he says I'm hoping to see the uh, new GTD qualifying format adopted across all classes. I think he had his tongue in his cheek. Ah, he wrote. <laughs> um, well, it's cal- well, calendar certainly should be coming, shouldn't it? Yeah, and I don't, again, I don't think there's going to be any real changes to it. The the indie question is, I just don't know if that would be next year or the year after. So that's the only real variable I can think of there. I fear the thing you're not that interested in, Matt, is going to be the thing... That is the uh, the primary note coming from it. Granted, IMSA's been fairly solid on not getting ahead of manufacturers and or privateers. You know, they're not the ones to announce what is going to happen in GTD Pro. But I do believe running the numbers within the last couple of days of who all I expect to be there. I think not crazy to think it might be double digit. Uh, possibly slightly over double digits. So if it ends up being eight or so, GTD Pro. Pro. Yes, the replacement for GTLM. 
I think eight or so would be a, a really solid number to expect. Um, yeah, uh, I've, I've heard that if some things go the right way, it could be 10, maybe even over 10. So I think that's going to be the main thing. Uh, beyond that, be super honest. Uh, I don't know of, of any other big things that might be on the docket from the state of the series or whatever that they do. Uh, talking about the season ahead. I do have one story that I need to publish that will definitely apply to 2022. And if it happens, I think it'll be awesome. And I would very likely get on a plane to see it happen. So sorry for that. It's not mm. meant to be a tease. It's just uh, I got to get that story filed for my client before I can talk about it here. So I think GTD Pro might be the thing. And so, uh, yeah, uh, I do think that qualifying format should be applied but to SRO, World America Challenge, GTS America, uh, GT3, WC. By AWS. Yes. By AWS. By Oz. Let's see. James Counter, you ask. You ax. How did teams like Ganassi and Penske end up running factory DPI programs for the opposite factory to their IndyCar program? So I know it's, quote, just business but they seem really closely aligned in IndyCar. Is it because the funding is from different budgets? The optics just strike me as a bit odd. Awesome question here, James. Does feed into a area that's going to become more and more interesting to document as LMDH and maybe even LMH uh, continues to expand in terms of manufacturer announcements and what they're doing and where and blah, blah, blah. And that is high-caliber, turnkey teams capable of running factory prototype efforts. Not as many of those as we would hope were sitting out there in full existence ready to go. So on the general topic here of these two companies, Ganassi representing Honda in IndyCar, GM, General Motors uh, in IMSA, Penske, and I think he's more referring to the previous program, Penske representing Chevy in IndyCar and Acura slash Honda in IMSA. Uh, the availability part is it. Keep in mind that when Ganassi, when the Acura DPI effort came to life, Ganassi was, what, a year two, or year two into their uh, multi-year Ford GT program? Not available. Taken. Uh, I'm sure that had they been able, they would have, and we'd be talking about Ganassi representing the brand in both areas. Penske, same thing. Um, They obviously, having the availability, having the, uh, I guess, the the pedigree uh, would be a great place for Honda to go to, knowing that they won IndyCar championships, kart championships, and whatnot back in the day. Uh, So there is some history there. It is truly just business of who's the best available. And I can tell you, this is one of the things Graham and I discussed prior to the show as well, uh, some of the big prototype efforts coming that have been announced, some that haven't, they're all looking for the best available teams to run their factory efforts. And based on some of the team names that I've heard, like, and I don't just mean rumor, but like, okay, I know they're actually truly talking to them or thinking about them, are shocking. Like, I guess this is, I was about to say no disrespect. I need to check myself. 
full disrespect. Some of them are like, what? You're talking to them <laughs> to run your prototype effort factory? That team's not only never touched a prototype, but what? Uh, yeah. So anyways, just getting back to the major point here, James, of a uh, Acura, HPD, Honda, whatever, want to go prototype racing? Who's our main fact? Okay, no, they're lined with Ford. Well, who's next? Oh, hey, you do have a vacancy. Boom, relationship. Uh, here with Porsche, guess what? Again, obvious great history with Penske. 100% availability from the team. There you go. So now we're trying to cover off some of the other manufacturers uh, coming to uh, this big new prototype era. And yes, they're going through the same thing. If not, uh, and this is, I think, kind of an interesting thing, um, multiple manufacturers uh, lobbying, fighting over, trying to secure the services of the best availables. And so how interesting is that? We cannot, in many instances yet, Graham, say that, oh, this big factory program that's coming, oh, well, we know it's going to be a shoe-in for that team or eh, maybe that other team. No, it's how many people, how many manufacturers are all knocking on the same door trying to either get in first or position to be uh, the only one left standing when decisions are made. So it's uh, it's a supply and demand thing james but also as we're seeing greater demand than there is a supply of badass ready to go teams that could have manufacturers winning races if not a championship in their first season there are some that will be snapped up but boy uh there are some others that you go boy i feel bad for whoever you end up with because it's not going to be great Great stuff. Right, I'm going to ask for a quick one here from Trevor Gagola on the WC. Is there any consideration to help out the Alpine fuel tank situation before Le Mans? Just to, to clarify what Trevor's talking about here, this is that they have an allocation of effectively a fuel that they can't accommodate in the tank for the car. So in other words, they are having to uh, stop for fuel more often than the BOP says that they could. The answer is no. Uh, there won't be any consideration because it's a homologated car. They can't do anything about that uh, fuel allocation because the uh, the Alpine, the X Rebellion, is maxed out in terms of the fuel it can carry aboard that car and it's not homologated nor indeed crash tested um, and anything different. So um, let's have another a look at uh, look another one further down here. Uh, here we go Ricky Zagata you guys were called by the Olympic organisers I get it all the time to add motorsports to the Olympics how would you do it which classes would you have and who maintains the vehicles it's pretty clear that that would be um, the only international uh, formula worth considering for Olympic competition with the kind of spirits of competition the kind of the, the values that the uh, the teams and the drivers would hold dear in terms of the moralistic side of things, it would be, of course, stadium super trucks. Um, and I can see that right now um, with the 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 kind of whippet lithe uh, athletics that come with that. Quite often when you see the guys stepping out their stadium super trucks, the words whippet and lithe uh, are absolutely the first that um, you would uh, come to the conclusion that apply. 
um, together with the, the the conduct of these people, the, the highest level of of behaviour. There'd be none of this uh, this kind of brawling uh, with or without helmets that um, you know other motorsports would actually have. So I think it would be certainly stadium super trucks, Ricky. That I'm sure might well be um, the one of those kind of demonstration events for the Olympics, should it ever come to Kentucky. Uh, that, I think, would be uh, a definite given. Looking further down and seeing... Uh, Ian Keyworth says, any predictions on the new Ferrari LMH name? Could it be the 333 SP LMH or even the 444 LMH? I gather, and I've not read the story, but someone sent me a link to this, that the, we already know, I think it's going to be called the F255 I think someone has already written that, that uh, uh, the uh, Ferrari team have actually uh, told a journalist that it looks like it's going to be called the F255. Uh, That's underwhelming. That's really underwhelming. It is. You know, you want it to be called something, I don't know, the, you know, we've got the kind of Marinello, the Italia, the Roma, the Portofino. I don't know. I mean, what what else could you call it? The Zucchini? Um, I don't know. What would you call it? If F, 333SP was the standard for the last, I don't know, work with some triple-digit options there. Oh, the F666 El Diablo. Well, what what, I can't say Diablo, that's a Lamborghini. What about this then? You know, if if you look at, they've got the Roma at the moment is there. It's a hypercar. It's Gran Torino. Gran Torino. A great name. That'd be a great name. Great name. Uh, we've got one to finish here, MP. It's a Le Mans question. No. Just... I've never heard of this race. <laughs> no, you're just jealous. Um, <laughs> it comes from Tim Glass, and he says, if you could take any corner from any racetrack in the world and add it to the Circuit de la Sarthe, what turn would it be, and where in the lap do you add it? I'm going to offer that one to you first, MP. Hmm... I think we replace the Dunlop chicanes with mm-hmm. Eau Rouge. Because if you think about this, it's granted, it's not downhill like a spa, yeah. but if you think about the sheer time of acceleration going on coming out of the Ford <laughs> chicanes, building up that massive speed, starting to climb the hill. Again, these are all... Uh, Eau Rouge-ish things. I'm just not sure. It'd then have to be a fairly steep drop-off, maybe. Yeah. Um, heading... Put the dipper, put, put the dipper in. The <laughs> there we go. <laughs> With the walls. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh-huh. Um, I'm not, again, uh, I'm not totally sure how it plugs into a Tete Rouge, but I like mm. the thought of, well, I, I guess I should say beyond just uh, replacing the Dunlop chicanes. It needs to just kind of extend over and feed into, uh, what, the second, the the exit of the, the little, I'm forgetting the corner number, but what feeds into Eau Rouge. I'm sorry, not Eau Rouge, uh, into Tet Rouge. So, yeah, uh, the, the double Rouges, I guess. That's where my brain goes. I think there's two others. I think uh, one or other or both of the chicanes could be replaced by the corkscrew from Laguna I think that would be quite a thing and then actually because we always should look to the history of 
the track. We often forget this when we're talking about taking corners from Spa and corners from Laguna Seca and corners from Bathurst. Bit of Le Mans history. Down on the run down to Indianapolis, I think we put in the Flugplatz, but rename it Dumbreck. Oh, Jesus. So we're just, if we're adding in the corkscrew at two places plus the new Dumbreck, are we just going, instead of the little trackside hand sanitizers are we going to just put vomit bags for drivers to grab uh on their way into both corkscrews and then again potentially at the uh the dumbreck celebration as well because it seems like yeah it seems like there are three stomach emptying sections to this new uh (laughs) new track my friend now pay-per-view would be uh i think a, a big draw there um uh, as, as I'm actually recording this, I'm getting a flurry of text messages from colleagues going, oh, I've got my accreditation confirmed, Flamon. Uh, so things are beginning to happen on that front, um, and there's lots to do. We did have a question, by the way, asking if we could go through a team-by-team oh, yeah. run-through for the Le Mans 24 hours. Um, we, we clearly won't in this format, but we will talk about what we'll do on a preview show for the 24 hours of Le Mans. Uh, that is coming up remarkably quickly, actually. I'll leave for Le Mans on the 13th of August, the Friday uh, the 13th. That doesn't bode well, does it? Um, but uh, So we'll be uh, along for that and then for the entire week, uh, the first part of my week with my colleagues from Daily Sports Car, the second part that week with a to-be-announced uh, but revised lineup for the uh, Le Mans 24 Hours TV, the international feed and the app uh, group on uh, for the Le Mans 24 Hours. And if you've got access to uh, tuning in for that, uh, I can tell you, you will be very pleased uh, with the lineup that we've got for you this year. It is not for me to announce other than to say that uh, I've not been fired, so I'm okay. Um, but that's that. I think I it's mean, top yay, thing. I hope that <laughs> Sorry. I think it's time to take it home. So I will say thank you very much indeed, Marshall Pruitt, for making the time. Thanks so much again to all of our listeners who are sending questions. As always, there's never really time to get through all these these questions, but uh, we we'll, we do our best every time. If you've enjoyed this kind of rather more free-form uh, feel to the show, do let us know on uh, hashtag twisk uh, with at Marshall Pruitt or at DSC Editor. For now, though, we're going to say thank you again, as we always do, to the backers of this podcast, Cooper Tyres, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsport.com. He, in the US, has been Marshall Pruitt. Me, and I apologise for what you may have heard in the background, the absolutely apocalyptic storms we've got here at the moment, rain drumming on the top of the office. Uh, I'm here in the UK. This has been the Week in Sports Cars, part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast. We will speak to you again next week.